0: Please be seated. I hope uh, you don't mind me doing that, but I I, I just felt it's important, I think, um, get my water. I Last Sunday I was um, preaching at St. Barnabas Church twice in the morning. They have two services. And I, I was just thinking that they will be very tied up this morning with Remembrance Sunday. The Anglican Church, so tied up. And um, I had a, had a great time with them. I was allowed, the, the first service was quite traditional, and you know what, I loved it, pipe organ and everything, it was great, bit of liturgy, hallelujah, it was wonderful. Choir dressed in robes, ha, even I had a jacket and tie on, amazing, and other clothes as well, but you know, uh, it, was, it was wonderful, and, and Jesus was so present, it was great. And I was allowed 20 minutes to preach on, on living generously. And apparently I preached for 19 minutes, 55 seconds, because they time you on their counter um, as, as they're recording you. And then in the second service, which was more, a bit more like us with the guitar and stuff, which, funnily enough, I enjoyed less, but that's, that's not making any point. It just happened to be how it was. Um, I was allowed 25 minutes to preach the same sermon and I think I did it in 23 minutes, 40 seconds or something. And, um, but the joy of it for me was to be with them, and they were so appreciative. And, and I, I just felt, you know, we are one in Christ, and that was a joy. And I'm aware we're one in Christ, and then you think of what they're doing this morning and, and what they're involved in with many people across the nation remembering. And I, we can get that all distorted and celebrate incorrectly, and things get hijacked. But, you know, to ignore what goes on in our nation at a time like this is totally inappropriate. And hence, I I felt this morning just to to do something where we're we're facing up to our responsibilities and also saying thank you. So that's where I was coming from. Right, um, I'm going to get on and preach. Just to say, uh, next Sunday, unless something goes really wrong, we will have a new PA system. The one we have is dying on its feet. It's very cumbersome in terms of setting it up and taking it down. The new one should be much easier. It's brand new. It costs £10,000, and uh, it'll be great. I promise a friend of mine, buying it through a friend of mine, he will be up uh, training, he'll be up setting it up, and he's a very uh, prophetic guy, so he might have some words while he's on, you know, because he's that sort of guy. Um, So as from next Sunday, for a couple of Sundays probably, there's going to be some envelopes around for people who would like to contribute towards the £10,000. A number of people have said they would. You know, we, we kind of take these things for granted, but it, it, a PA system is not what you include in your normal expenses. Okay? We, we, we need to do it. We've never had a new one for years and years and years and years, and it's time uh, to step out and do it. So uh, that happens. So there will be some envelopes next Sunday where, with PA system written on. If you would like to contribute towards that, it will be there the Sunday after as well. Then uh, I'll invite you to put some... Uh, Put your gift into that envelope and pop it into the offering when it goes round. Also, um, it's a a great opportunity to say, you know, the PA team, they're wonderful. But we'd love some more people to be on the PA team who can do mixing, set up, take down, all of that sort of stuff. Great opportunity to sign up. So where's Andy Coakluff? There he is. Or, Or David Gibson. Could Have a chat with either of those if you'd be interested in being part of the PA team. Okay, But to be part of a PA team doesn't mean you can change your mind last minute. If you're part of it, you're part of it, and you have to take responsibility. Otherwise, there's no sound on a Sunday morning, and you don't get to hear me, things like that. So it's a serious job, and I so value the PA team. Nobody ever pays any attention unless it goes wrong. Have you noticed? If it starts to feed back, everybody goes, what's going on? But otherwise, nobody pays any attention to the PA team. I think they're the heroes of church. And so often, they're real heroes, and, and we need to be grateful. So if you'd like to be a hero and join the team, then have a chat with those guys. Okay, up until uh, Christmas, we're working through the book of James on most Sunday mornings, and this week I'm looking at verses 13 to 17 of chapter 4. Now, it's, it's okay to break up chapters of Scripture into groups of verses so we can preach through them on Sundays. Um, but we need to be careful in doing that that we don't lose the flow and context of the original letter. Uh, James clearly wrote this letter to the Jewish Christians who were scattered all over the world. He relentlessly confronts wrong, th- wrong thinking and actions. In, in doing that, he's being really helpful to us. How many of you like being confronted? Yes, if you're nice to me, right? Oh, well, James isn't terribly nice, actually. He just goes for it. He's relentless with it. You see, once we believe in Jesus and are born again, we need to learn how to live God's way, to live in a way that pleases God, brings him glory. James's whole argument is that the evidence of, of our faith in Jesus uh, is seen in our changed lives, and, and as, as we become more and more like Jesus, we, we become more of a testimony. This is what a Christian is. This is how we live, and so on. So all along the way, James is provoking and challenging us with loads of of application. So that's what James is like. But on the other hand, in Paul's letter to the Romans, we see Paul having to explain much more doctrine and loads of theology, which is the truth that's needed to shape our thinking and understanding, particularly if there are people from a non-Jewish background who have no experience of God, a pagan background, and so Paul has to do it very differently when he writes Romans. He's explaining doctrine and doctrine. We love it, don't we? We unpack it. We say, isn't it wonderful? But the Jews understood so much. They didn't need all that unpacking. So James is able to just to go, boom. Okay? Paul laid the foundation and then went, boom. You see, Paul in, in Romans, he says, he's calling the Gentiles, that's us, to the obedience that comes from faith. Verse uh, 5 of chapter 1, he says, Through Jesus we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. That's right at the beginning of the book of Romans. And then in verses 25 and 26 of chapter 16, which is the last chapter of Romans, he, he, he reinforces it again and said, Everything I've written to you is about this. He says, Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. Okay? That's, that's what Romans is written for. That we will believe on Jesus and learn to live Freely in obedience to God. Not under duress, not under law, but gladly because we are God's people now. That's what he's talking about. Now we come back to James. James's letter, written before Paul ever wrote to the Romans, still had a similar purpose. He wrote his letter to the Jewish Christians who understood theology. But he's urging them to right thinking and living so that they learn obedience that comes from faith. It's the same. The purpose is the same. Most of the New Testament, the purpose is the same. And we like to wander off and pull it in different ways from time to time. But actually, no, it's about growing us as Christians, about us producing in us the character of Christ. So I'm going to read from James 4, uh, verses 13 to 17. That's the bit I'm going to preach on this morning. But I'm also going to read right through uh, to verse 6 of chapter 5, just to give flow. And also, it's pretty punchy, isn't it? Let you chew on it for a week, okay? You see, while the book of James is speaking to all the scattered Jewish Christians, it's also written to Jews everywhere so that they would be confronted by truth. And, and they didn't all like it. He's challenging people to turn to Jesus. And he's reminding the Christians to live right, to handle wealth correctly, and so on. You know, the temptation to separate our faith in Jesus from our day-to-day living is great. Well, I believe in Jesus, but that's private. How I live my life is separate. That, the temptation for that is so great. And if we do that, we get caught up in a world system that, that, that actually is, is flawed. It, it, it doesn't bring any glory to God. And so James has some things to say to us that just says it right in our face. Raj will be talking in a couple of weeks' time more on how the Christian is to handle wealth and money But for now, let's just do our Bible reading. So James chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen. I like that. Listen. Pay attention. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or to that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? I love this. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. And then on to verse 5. Now listen, pay attention again. You rich people, that's most of the people in the UK. When you look at world riches, that's most of us. Weep and wail because of the misery that's coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. That's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? I'm not teaching on that this week. <laughs> but I thought it was important to, to give continuity because all of these things sit together. If we just take one and not the other, the whole thing is part of the same thing. And what I talk about today, we'll speak into what Raj does in a couple of weeks' time. So I've got three points. Living with an eternal perspective. Point two is facing reality. And point three, leaving an eternal legacy or storing up treasure in heaven. So living with an eternal perspective. We live in a world that is in the main earthbound in its thinking. doesn't have eternal perspective. People may well live with a historical perspective, But by and large, the world we live in does not live with an expectation of existence beyond the grave. Or even if it does, it doesn't live with a sense of responsibility to that existence. And so people generally live for themselves. Over and over again, I hear that uh, people say, you know, when, when people die, they only live on in our memories. That's become increasingly popular in our day that said, well, they live on in my memory. Do you ever hear that? You you find it in the the media. You find it in, in all sorts of stuff. In the entertainment world, it talks about people living on in our memory. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. I hope we do remember them. But there's much more to existence than being a memory. The Bible clearly teaches that everyone who has ever lived will have to stand before God and give an account of the way they have lived. Even the Christians will have to do that. The Bible is clear, unambiguous about these things. The Bible teaches that Jesus is coming again. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 15 to 17, it says this, According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. For the Lord himself will come from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall be with the Lord forever. We are eternal beings. We are people. Every person on the planet are eternal beings. Now there's heaven or hell to face. But you can't say, well, it doesn't matter, because you're going to leave yourself. You've got to have an eternal perspective. Otherwise, we leave ourselves in total, a total mess. We need to learn as Christians to live with that sense of expectancy, that sense of, fortunately, you know what, for me to live, the Apostle Paul said, to die is gain. For me to live is, that's oh, great, to die is even better. That's having an eternal perspective. How few of us really have that? How few of us really have that, particularly in our nation, particularly in the West. I think if you live in other parts of the world where life expectancy is short, where, 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 where many children die, uh, people get ill and die, where p- people are looking, they're, they're living with an eternal perspective. They know this isn't it, whereas we kind of make this everything. And it gets into the Christian church, and so it's all about, it's all about now at the expense of eternity. And we mustn't do that. So if we're going to live with internal perspective, does that mean we're just to go passive and sit around on a mountaintop waiting for Jesus to come? Not at all. God has given each of us a life to live, to grow, to learn, to develop, and be the best you and me that we can be for the glory of God. Do you know what? I cannot be the best Simon. I can only be a best Paul. he can't be a best me, he can only be a best Simon. I've been given life, you've been given life. So what are you going to do with it? When you start having an eternal perspective, you start to ask that question, what am I doing with my life? We all have different gifts. God made us that way. And so many people are wishing they had I wish I had Simon's gift. I wish I had this gift. i wish, but spend all the time, look, be settled with what you've got and make the best of it. Grow it. Develop it. Strengthen it. I love technology. It's the way I'm wired. I I understand technology. I I understand circuit diagrams. I'm a cause and effect sort of guy. I'm a bit scientific in my mindset. I'm just wired that way. I'm I'm pleased with that. You know, I'm sorry if it's a bit boring for some people. You know, I love my model railway. Go, oh. You know, people go, oh, you've got a little toy train set. And think, Oh, God, no understanding of, of the real world. <laughs> but we're all different. Now, other people, like Tom is into sport. You know, that's, he's got gifts in the area of sport. You know what? That goes so above my head. I don't even know it's there. It's just totally different for me. The most exciting sport I can think of would be chess, (laughs) or maybe motor racing because you do it all sat down and just waggle your feet and do that. That's my sort of idea of sport, okay? But we're different. I'm not in any way decrying sport. I think it's a great thing for somebody else. We're made differently. That's the point I'm making. We have different gifts. Practical gifts, technical gifts, creative gifts, artistic gifts, musical gifts. Oh, there's something inside of me wants to make music. It just won't come out my fingers on a keyboard. Do you you ever... I am musical. My, My heart's music. I can hear music in my head, but I don't have the gift, when I sit in front of a keyboard, to get it out of my fingers onto the keys. Is that frustrating? Absolutely. Am I envious of David Gibson? Absolutely. But I don't want to be him because God didn't make me him. He made me me. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? We, we can say, oh, I wish. It's all right to wish. Anybody got a few wishes? You're a sad bunch. <laughs> you you know, just think, ah, oh, ah. Oh. And so I have, to enjoy, I have to enjoy other people playing a keyboard to the glory of God. And I'm thrilled. And I, I'm, I'm absolutely over the moon. And I, I get stirred by it. We have different gifts, musical gifts, intellectual gifts, people with clever brains. I'd love to be good at pure maths. Absolute pure maths. I would love to be brilliant at pure maths. Wouldn't you like to do that? You know, they do all these equations and you go, no idea what they're talking about. Sounds great. And they come up with these. this is all about the cosmos and the way things work. And it's wonderful, but I don't understand And that really annoys me because I'm quite scientific. Or does that pass you by? It's just the way I'm wired, you see. We we have different gifts. How about spiritual gifts? I'm not necessarily now meaning gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about spiritual gifts. Entrepreneurial gifts. How about that? Financial gifts. Anybody here got some financial gifts? not spending it. I don't mean spending it. (laughs) We've all got that gift. You see, you know what? Some people have a gift of earning and generating money for the kingdom of God. That's a a biblical gift. People have the gift of making money for the kingdom of God. It's one of the gifts of God's people. It's just not one. I've, I've never managed it. Whatever I do, I never make money. I Just somehow finish up with none because somehow I've given it all away. I envy those who can make money. And that's a godly gift. It's not a a wrong gift. It's a godly gift. Leadership gifts. Maybe I've got a little bit of that. Caring gifts. Compassionate gifts. And on and on. You know those people who are just so full of compassion, they can weep with those that weep and mourn with those that mourn. And I feel guilty because I'm not weeping. Do, do you ever? Do, do, do you know what I'm talking about? We we can get ourselves ever so caught up in in these things. Compassion, care, love, creativity, music—all the different things we're good at. But we don't have all of them. We only usually got a little bit of one. We're all different. But whatever our gifts, as God's people on the earth today, God wants us to use our gifts and use who he has made us for the benefit of his kingdom and his eternal purposes. As we learn to live this way, so the world is blessed and God's kingdom is advanced. You see, if we remove an eternal perspective from our lives, we very, very quickly start just living for ourselves. And the Bible tells us clearly what happens when we do that. Let me read to you from Ecclesiastes 2 Verses 10 to 12. This is, this is our world. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. Chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. You look at our world people making and creating and doing and and you know what? At the end of time, at the end of their lives, so often it's like dust through the fingers, like sand through the fingers. It's meaningless. It produced nothing of lasting value. It came and it went. That's sad. We need to live with an eternal perspective. My second point, facing reality. What does our our reading say? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. When I was young, the future before me looked big and long. I couldn't imagine getting older. I'm still a little boy on the inside. Aren't you? Well, sorry, if you're a woman, you're not a little boy on the inside. Um, Don't you still have... Come on, Jonathan, don't you still have those... He's never gone gone past 16 mentally. Excellent, I like that. I, I never imagined ever getting to the point where I was older. I didn't even realize I was a man until I was about 40. In the sense that people are saying, oh, look at that man over there, and I'm looking around thinking, who's, who's that? Oh, he's talking about me. Because inside, I don't see myself that way. I still don't see myself that way. I still see myself as a young man, vigorous, full of creativity, bursting with dreams and ideas and possibilities. That's what God made us for. Nothing wrong with those things. However, I have got a bit older, even though I couldn't imagine it. I was a very shy and timid little boy, but I dreamed my dreams. When I was 17, I met Jean. Wow. God, first time we met, God's, well, I say God, she just knew she was going to marry me. I, I didn't know that, but... You know, I looked at her and thought, no way. However, that, that's... She's prophetic and she knows better than me, so... She just knew I was going to, she was going to marry me. And, but God clearly put us together, and, and we got mar- married when I was 20, June 22. And together we dreamed our dreams. At that, all that time, we were learning and growing in God. We, have our two, we then had our two children. We sought to bring them up to know and love Jesus. For many years, I worked for the Hammond Organ Company doing electronics and music. And as time went on, I began to have more and more influence In the company and I I sought to make Hammond organ the best company of its type in the country, giving the best technical support and spare support of any any such company in the UK. How could I do less? I, I was there, God had put me there, I'm a child of God and therefore I wanted it, I wanted to live for his glory so I wanted to make the company I work for the best. That's living with an eternal perspective, that's making a difference as a child of God. So that applies whether you're a teacher or or whatever you're doing. Work for the glory of God where you are to make it the best. That's just honoring Jesus. Very important. Then in 1985, I I went full-time with the church in Milton Keynes that we'd been part of as it was planted. Then in 1995, God moved us to Bedford to lead the church there. And then again, in 2010, God brought us up here to lead jubilee. Loads of stories that could be told about those years. I, I haven't got time, but what I want to, do want to say is this. I have sought to lead any church I have led to be hugely significant in the purpose of God. Deliver us from also-ran churches. Deliver us from churches where we just go along on a Sunday, and it's a nice little group of people, and they're ever so faithful, we're just holding on till Jesus comes. I couldn't lead a church like that. Because I'm not holding on till Jesus comes. You and I are are people of destiny. You and I have a calling. You and I are called to, to, to see Jubilee become hugely significant in the purposes of God. Jubilee is to be significant like that. Jubilee is called to make a huge difference in Teesside and around the world. Do you believe that? Can you, can you believe that? Could you see yourself added to something like Jubilee that says, no, we're not just a bunch of people who meet at Macmillan on a, on a Sunday morning and do a little bit during the week. We're a bunch of people with a call. We're a bunch of people with a destiny. We're a bunch of people that God has put together for purpose in our day. That's different, isn't it? It's not like, oh, which church shall I join? No, no, I've been joined to a group of people, and God has a destiny for us to fulfill. It's not, doesn't that get a bit exciting, that sense of purpose? It's not just the church I go to, it's the people I'm a part of. The prophetic word to us that Andy Merrick, who's in, from Glasgow, brought, You remember? He said that we're a bit like David before Goliath, an unlikely bunch, but that God was going to use us to see the spirit of poverty broken in Teesside. We haven't achieved that yet. But I do believe God said that. And it's not just my responsibility, it's our responsibility. The church isn't just about me. Perish the thought. Let's all go home then. The church is about Jesus and His calling, and He takes us, and He brings us from different parts of the world and puts us here. He brings us from different parts of the country. He puts us here. He brings us here from different nations, and He puts us here for purpose, that He may be glorified, His kingdom extended. We are making a difference for some people. And as long as I'm leading Jubilee, we will press forward into all God has promised us. I will persist. I will be relentless. I will keep declaring it. I will keep trying to motivate. That's my job. But it's not just idle words. It's the promises of God where I'm I'm reminding you of. This is called living with eternal perspective, but it's also living with reality. You see, why do I tell you all of that? Because now when I look back all my life just seems like yesterday. Where did the time go? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Looking down through the eons of history and then forward into eternity, our few years are barely a moment in time and yet they count For eternity. Isn't that amazing? You could get lost in the eons of time looking at history and think people came, people went, people came, people went. But every life counts for eternity, for that brief moment while we have life on earth. What are we going to do with it? We are each responsible to make the years we have count. do not say that to beat you up. But you've only got one life. Best to live it then. Don't you think? You, you, am I talking to anybody? Do, do, I mean, it's like, best to live it then. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm not in the mood. <laughs> I'm just waiting for God. Really? You'll be waiting till judgment day. <laughs> And on that day, you'll stand before God and say, you didn't come, Lord, I was waiting. And he said, I came and hung on a cross for you. I filled you with my spirit and I give you creativity and gifts and you didn't use them. Why not? That's what he'll say on judgment day. What are we doing with our lives is the question. And I'm not saying this to be harsh, but I'm saying this is the sort of stuff James is asking. He's confronting us over and over again. You see, I remember when I was young and when we were young I used to say, one day one day I'm going to do one day and then you reach a point in your age when you suddenly think, I better do it today then, because if I don't do it today I'll miss my one day. Do, do, do you know what I'm talking about? I, I've got I've to do it Now Well, I'm still in the now moment, just. But don't waste your time thinking one day. As my mommy always said to me, there's no time like the present. I was brought up, there's no time like the present. Don't put it off till tomorrow, do it today. So here we are, in Jubilee, called of God, saved by the blood of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, ready to go. Here we are. What are we going to do? I'm waiting. No, there's plenty to get on with right now. Wherever we are is where God's put us. Wherever we find ourselves, work to be excellent. Bring the glory of God there. Tell people about Jesus there. Make a difference there. Take every opportunity, the Bible tells us. I find in church leadership, so often people say, Oh, I know I'm called to leadership. Are you? Oh, yes, well, can you put the chairs out for me? Oh, I can't do that. I'm called to bigger things. Well, could you stand on the door and welcome people? No, no, I'm called to bigger things. Well, could you clean the toilets for me? Definitely not. I'm called to better things. I tell you, every time... Every time without fail, when I'm looking for leaders, I'm looking for people who are putting chairs out, who are cleaning toilets, who are serving faithfully, bringing glory to God in the, in the now of their lives, without glory, without profile or anything else. It's getting your hands dirty to the glory of God. And, and if you're anonymous in it, you're anonymous in it. But that way, God will take people with that heart, that servant heart, and he will say, right, I want to bring you up, I want to give you profile, I want to give you something to do, that, that people go, wow. When we were in Milton Keynes, Chris and John and Emma remember this, um, and we were in Milton Keynes in, in New Life Church, uh, we, we became New Life Church, in Milton Keynes, and... Uh, we, we were given this building, and it was not It was a good building. It had two holes, and it had a nasty bit. I might have told you this before. It had a nasty bit between the two holes with a bit of a plastic roof on and a drain that was always blocked. And the guy, Tony Villiers, I worked with, who was, who was technically the leader. We, we worked together, but he was leading the church. And the, the number of times I'd walk in and find him with his arm right down a drain, as far as he could go, reaching to get all the rot and filth out the drain. The number of times we were on the roof, sticking, it was leaking, and we were on the roof with blow lamps and glue, trying to stop the leak for people on a Sunday. There's times I walk in and he had his arm right around the U-bend of the toilet, trying to unblock the ladies' loo. That's leadership. That's our calling. That's what it's about. It's getting your hands dirty for the glory of God. And if you can't do that, forget it forget it. Serve where you find yourself. Serve gladly. Serve for Him. It's all about that. You see, what does James say? He says, we're, we're a bit like mist that appears early in the morning as the sun is rising. You know the sort of thing I mean, that moment When the morning sun starts to warm the landscape and the morning dew begins to evaporate, the mist starts to rise. That mist can make a beautiful picture. If you're standing on a hill looking down, you know, look down. There with your camera. The scene can take our breath away, but within a few hours the mist is gone. The picture has changed forever. This is what James is saying. It is so important in the short time we have to seize the day and make a difference. Let's make our plans and use all the gifts God has given us to impact this world while we have this life. But let's do it in keeping with an eternal perspective, being very aware that our times are in God's hands and we live for His glory. Let's invest in our children and teach them all about Jesus let's invest in people by sharing with them the gospel and the love of God let's go and feed the hungry and house the homeless and get our hands dirty that's our calling you see if we ignore God we can make up plans and do all these things but it can come to nothing as our earthly life is taken away maybe we're hugely successful make a fortune become a well known figure but even if that is the case we still need to keep an eternal perspective and live our lives before God. Jesus says to it in Matthew 16:25 to 27 for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he's done. Some of us will live for many years, and some of us not so many. The question simply is this, are we living for Jesus today? It's the only question. Are we living for Jesus today? When you're young, you think you've got all the time in the world. And I need to say to you young people, seem to gravitate to this side of the church. This is the young side, apart from a few old crocs. Okay? (laughs) Sorry, I'm not talking about the front row. Sorry, I've just... (laughs) I need to say this to you. Don't waste your life and time on self-indulgence. God has given you a life to live and enjoy for His glory. And it starts by being diligent with the little things right now. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Being diligent with the little things right now, today. I could spend a lot more time on that. I was just thinking of... um, This leads into my next point anyway. I was thinking of people like Cadbury and Fry, you know, the people who... Cadbury did did the chocolate thing, but you know what? He built Bourneville, built a place called Bourneville, a whole place for his people to live in, that people could have good homes, and he cared about the whole picture. He was living for eternity. He was doing something that served the now, but built for eternity. Nowadays, all of these things have been gobbled up in... Maximum profit, maximum return, all the big business thing. We're, the only thing that counts now in business is maximum profit. That's not in God's economy. In God's economy, what counts is, is profit, yes, but people being cared for, the, inv- the investing that goes in the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And so my last point is this, leaving an eternal legacy or storing up treasure in heaven. When I look back at church history, I'm hugely humbled as I read of people like Wesley and Whitfield and Spurgeon and William and Catherine Booth and C.T. Studd and Watchman Knee and Billy Graham, even Terry Virgo and Dave Devnish. And they're still going. And there's a host of others who have left or are leaving us with such an amazing Christian legacy. It's like we get to stand on their shoulders These guys who give everything for Jesus, we get to stand on their shoulders and then do our thing in our day. They used all the gifts they had and they leaned on God and they were faithful in their day. And you know what? We live in the good of that. However, whatever you think of the church in the UK today, we live in the good of the people who've gone before us, who paid a price, who battled through. Nowadays, we take the baptism of the Holy Spirit as the norm. I tell you, in my day, in the 60s and the 70s, it was frowned upon. It was not the norm. And bit by bit, people pressed on and pressed on. And now, by and large, the church in this country would be very open to being filled with the Holy Spirit. Things have changed. We stand on the shoulders of people who've gone before. But if we're going to stand on the shoulders of people gone before, then we need to make sure that we actually honor them by living right in our day. Not take it for granted, but live right in our day. I read their stories, they make me cry. I just want to cry. I'm overwhelmed by such godliness. I'm overwhelmed by such cost and such joy in the midst of their cost. I'm totally humbled. But you know what? There are millions more who've gone before us who've never had their story recorded. People who have left an abiding legacy that we live in the good of and yet we don't know who they are. Perhaps we do. Parents. Parents grandparents, people who prayed for us. My grandma, until she died, prayed for me every day of my life until the day she died. She had four daughters, and she prayed for her four daughters every day of their lives until she died. And all four daughters loved the Lord. My mom's the only one left at 90, but they loved the Lord and died loving the Lord. My mom's still praying for me every day. She's praying for the grandchildren every day. It's glorious, it's wonderful, it's a joy to be prayed for. And there's people you don't know. There's people you don't know who down through the years have prayed for you, who are praying for Jubilee today. People, my mom's praying for Jubilee Church today. People are praying for us to be effective in our day. Thank God for them. Thank God for those people who've gone before. And there's millions of others who've fought the fight and have won the, the, run the race and won the prize, and we stand on their shoulders and we're so grateful and we don't even know who they are. These people have stored up amazing treasure in heaven. I say, oh, God, let me be one of those. Oh, God, let us be a people like that. Don't you think? Don't you have that tug in your heart saying, God, I want to be one of those. It's my heart. My heart for young, young, young people. I'm saying don't waste your life. God wants you to be one of those who pay the price and you get a reward in heaven and it's an eternal legacy and you're living for his glory and you go, oh God, I want my life to count now but I want to live with eternal perspective and I want to do it in a way that you're pleased with me. And I bring you joy. does verse 17 of chapter 4 say? If anyone then knows the good they ought to do, and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. That kind of needs to focus our minds. There's too many Christians I know who live with regret. I wish. They get to 50, 60, and they look back and think, oh, I wish I'd done it differently. Well, you know what? God's a God who restores the years the locusts have eaten. God's a God who will say, "We'll start right now then. Today, start right now and make the rest of your life count, whatever your age. You see, Ephesians two nine tells us, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's do them for His glory. It's our turn now. I, I, I think it was Christian who said, oh, The people who have gone before us, they're the, they're the people cheering us on from the, the, the stands. They're saying, come on, come on, we did it in our day. Now come on, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Come on, in your day, come on, we're cheering. We're there for you. It's your turn. It's our turn now. Let's not waste it. Let's live our lives to the glory of God and store up treasure in heaven. I want us to pray. I don't want us to stand. I want us to pray. And I'm going to quote some of the words of a song which I've mentioned before, but I just want us to close our eyes and pray. Lord, we come before you and we come into your presence right now. And you have a destiny for us. You have a destiny for us together and you have a destiny for us as individuals. You've given us life You've saved us and made us your child. And God, right now, I just pray you, you you catch us up and give us faith to step in and say, today I will live for Jesus. I will make today count. Keep praying. Keep praying. Don't open your eyes. A guy called Mark Altrogi wrote a song. Many years ago, we learned it and sang it in the early 80s in what is now New Life Church, Milton Keynes. I have mentioned it before, as I say, here's a few lines of it. I want to make this a prayer. I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. I want to serve the purpose of God while I am alive. I want to give my life for something that will last forever. Oh, God, I delight. I delight to do Your will. God, would You help us that? Would You help us make that our prayer this morning? You didn't just save us to get us to glory. You saved us for Your glory, for Your purpose. You give us life for a reason. Help us fulfill that purpose. I want to build with silver and gold, Lord, in my generation. I want to build with silver and gold while I'm alive. I want to give my life for something that will last forever and delight to do Your will. God, I want to see the kingdom of God in my generation. I want to see Your kingdom come while I'm alive. I want to live my life for something that will last forever and delight and delight in doing your will. Lord, what's on your heart this morning? Lots of love, lots of grace, no condemnation, but a clear call to Jubilee Church Teesside. Let us know your will, Lord, and we will follow you. That's what we're seeking to do. That's what I'm trying to do in terms of our leadership. We want to follow you, God. We're not here to make up the numbers. We're not here to play games. We're not here to fill in the time. We're here for eternal purpose. God, would you so fill us again with your Spirit that we may be hugely effective and fulfill our eternal destiny for your glory. Would you rest upon us right now, Lord? Let God rest upon you right now. God's speaking to some people this morning. And you might say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to respond. Just tell him, God, yes, is the answer. Just say to him, yes, is the answer. I want to live for you, Lord. Show me how. He will. But it starts with the little things, even today. Rest upon us, Lord rest upon us. Thank you. May your word burn in our heart and do its work that you may be glorified. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I wonder if the band would come back. I'm going to stand. I'm going to take up our offering as